Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nachamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nachamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message. There are some weeks in message preparation that are so easy. So easy. Just flows and flows and their notes all work out and everything's perfect and you show up completely and totally prepared and you just know it's going to be great. And sometimes those weeks totally stink because there's just nothing to it. And then there are other weeks where you ask yourself, I don't even know where to start with this. The amount of material that's here, the amount of time I've been studying this and trying to communicate it in a way that's meaningful, a way that makes sense, a a way that you can walk away and internalize it. This is one of those weeks where I've asked myself, God, I cannot do this. I just, nothing, nothing is right. Nothing feels the way it should. And so last night after candles and after a nice glass of wine, For Kiddush, Hashem just said, go for it. So let's go for it. You want to? I have no idea what you're going to get, but I'm going to hope because I want to ask your permission to share with you a lot of information. Um, And that's not always easy to sit and listen to. And I'm going to make it as exciting and meaningful as possible, but it is so incredibly important. And this, what's so funny about this is this is the, like, probably the week of the Hebrew series that I have been most excited about sharing with you for months and months, because I find it to be just absolutely, absolutely profound, absolutely exciting, absolutely invigorating for my faith and outlook and hope for the coming Messiah which in our world means everything in a Messianic Jewish synagogue. That is our hope. So my hope and my prayer, and I pray that um, you will pray with me as we go through our teaching today, is that we'll all share some of that. Because see, our synagogue is not, I, I love the idea of feeling good. I love the idea of interacting with God, having experiences where I sense his presence and know that he's there, whether that's in song, whether that's in prayer, whether that's in teaching, whatever it is. But a big part of what we do here is teaching and study. And sometimes those things can seem dry. I don't want this to be dry. I want it to be spirit-filled encouragement for your soul. And in order to do that, the best and most exciting place to start, I'm certain, is by looking at some Greek words. Uh, That always brings such a deep level of excitement to life, doesn't it? But that that is our topic, actually. We're going to be working today. You can, if you have... If you have one of these old-fashioned things, which is called a printed Bible, how long has it been since you've used one of these? Everybody does it on their phone now. Thank you. I have some down here, actually. I'll probably just spill that. Thanks. 
We're going to be working from chapter 9, okay? And I promised you some Greek words, and there they are. Anybody familiar with these Greek words? Protos, deuteros. They're somewhat familiar. Uh, As a matter of fact, we just finished a book today in the Torah that's called Bamidbar, and it leads us into the last book of the Torah, which is called... Deuteronomy, or Devarim technically, but Deuteronomy. So, protos, we also find this word utilized in words like prototype, which is what? The first of its kind. Number one, first. Deuteronomy actually means second law. Deuteros means second, number two, okay? One and two, protos and deuteros. These words which most people have never heard and don't really need to hear because they're Greek and we don't speak Greek. But the New Testament and the book of Hebrews was written in Greek, and therefore understanding the full meaning and context of certain Greek words is very important. And when translators change those Greek words, or not the Greek words, but the meaning of the Greek words, or when they add words that aren't there, guess what happens to the meaning of the text? It's radically altered by changing tenses, words, translations. And so I need to start right here with this example of protos and deuteros because understanding Hebrews and chapter 9 and really all of the pieces of Hebrews regarding the temple, the priesthood, Yeshua, the future, the messianic age are actually all tied up in those words that begin in chapter eight. And we've seen this before. For if that first, now the word covenant is added, it's not actually in the Greek, but if the first had been faultless, then there should then then should no place have been sought for the second. What are we talking about there? We're talking about the old covenant and the new covenant, right? If the first covenant had been faultless, then there was no reason to find a second. We spent an entire sermon, an entire week talking about this particular text. When he said a new covenant, and again, covenant is not in the text, but it's added. When he said new, he has made the first obsolete, protos, protos, obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. My sermon was deconstructing that translation because that's not proper. This is from the tree of life. In saying new, he has treated the first as, do you remember this? Old, not obsolete. The first is not, protos is not obsolete. It's old. And it is being made old and aging is close to vanishing. Do you remember this message at all? Because where we ended was important. What is being made old? What is aging? And what, according to the author, is, is close to vanishing? You get a big bonus if you say this out loud. The earth I don't know what your bonus is. Hey, yes, I do. After Shabbat, you can come and collect this 20 shekel coin that I just found right there, manna from heaven. Uh, (laughs) The earth, this world, olam hazeh, we remember these terms, olam hazeh, 
this world is vanishing and is, it's close to vanishing. And we spent all that time talking about it. Olam Hazeh, the first, he has treated the first. Now that's protos, this word Greek in this Greek word that I'm talking to you about. The better promises, the fullness of the new covenant, all that, all that is coming. It's inaugurated by Yeshua's resurrection. But this world, this olam hazeh, this present age still stands because we are here, are we not? Yes, we're breathing. So here's the main point from this entire section. All I want you to remember. Protos means? Deuteros means? Good. First and second. Got it? Now, I want to read something. Actually, a good bit of something. This is from the New American Standard Bible. We're going to be talking about some translations today. Try not to bore you to death with that, but it's very important. Listen up for one second in Hebrews 9. Now, even the first covenant had regulations. The word covenant is supplied. It's also not actually in the text. This just happens all over the place, but it's, it, it's relevant. Even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place, okay? Now, for there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one. The actual Greek word is protos, the first, which is called the holy place. And we continue, and we had in there certain things, the lampstand, the table, sacred bread, it's called the holy place. Behind the second veil, and this word is deuteros, was a tabernacle which is called the holy of holies. Therefore, as we continue this logic, protos in the temple equals the holy place. Deuteros in the temple equals, are you with me? It's not complicated. It may sound and get a little more complicated, but this is what he's saying. And he says, going on, beyond this second veil, there was a tabernacle, which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense, the Ark of the Covenant, covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna, Aaron's rod, which budded, the tablets, the tables of the covenant, and above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. And guess what? Neither can we. He didn't, and we can't either. But I want you to notice one thing. In the outer section, the protos, the lampstand, the table, the sacred bread, all of those things are human things. Those are the things that the priests come and interact with. We have the bread being replaced every Shabbat. We have the menorah being tended to. There's also the golden incense altar is in there, which is affected every day by the priesthood. These things, are, are they're not common because they're in the temple, but they're the things things that the priests do. In the deuteros behind the veil, we find only things that God can do. The miracle of Aaron's budded rod, the ark with the presence, the throne of God, the cherubim there. We have all of these very sacred things. So there's clearly a difference even within these 
two sacred spaces, man and God. Now, continuing. What I want you to understand is that the author in chapter 8, where we started, was making a contrast between protos and deuteros. He said, if the first was okay, then we wouldn't have needed a second. There's a contrast. There's an entire shift that's getting ready to take place in chapter 9, where now protos first and deuteros second are going to work together to make one of the most central, compelling presentations, arguments of the entire book of Hebrews. So protos, the holy place, and deuteros, the holy of holies, now come together, okay? And I'm going to explain why that works, okay? Because the outer it's, it's translated as the outer one, and when it's, it, it should just be the holy place or the tabernacle, this, this, this holy protos, okay? And these are, in that space, those are the instructions, as I just mentioned, the menorah, the showbread, the altar. These are the instructions given to the priests in how they interact with God in the holy space, right? And it tells us this in the book of Hebrews. When these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the protos, performing the divine worship. And I just told you how that works, right? Menorah, incense, showbread. These things are, are, are commonly interacted with. And here's what I want you to understand, and I'm going to borrow a great analogy from from my friend Daniel Lancaster. Right out here, right out here in this space, this is what I want us to imagine, that we are all priests. You are all priests. And you're seated out here. This is the holy place. This is the common area. This is, we've got the menorah there. We have our table of showbread. This is the protos, okay? And it's good. And you interact here and you, you worship here. But up here, and here's my dividing line. Here's the imaginary veil. Up here is something else. Up here, and we're encountering the ark. We're encountering another level of sacred space. And you out there in the protos, you can't come in here. Why is that? Because that's the way God said it would be. Into the second, the Deuteros, the Holy of Holies, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. Okay? So you're out there in the Protos, and up here is the Deuteros. And you are not invited well, you kind of are invited, but that's, that's giving away the story. This space requires a level of access which you do not have. This space requires credentials which you do not possess. And therefore, the protos is your space. 
The deuteros is something else. With me? Makes sense. Crystal clear, right? Good. Now, let's, let's keep this veil here just for a second. Keep it in your mind. I'll come back to the significance of what that actually means for us. But pause. Is this seemingly a strange analogy for the author of Hebrews to now all of a sudden mostly through the way of the book, more than halfway through it, we're into chapter nine now, all of a sudden he's going to start bringing in the temple as the main illustration and image of something in his book, something very, very big. Isn't it true, according to traditional interpretation, that Yeshua came to destroy the temple? and the priestly service, and and even the law, and the sacrifices, and all of that. That's the traditional understanding, not only kind of of the book of Hebrews, but especially of what the author is saying in chapter 9, that somehow or another in all these words, what's being said is, God hates this whole system, and he's done away with it through Jesus, and it's not important anymore. That's the traditional thing. Now, if that is what the author is saying, this is a really strange item, the temple, to build your entire premise on in terms of the story of salvation. But that's exactly what he's going to do. And these two words, protos and deuteros, are gonna factor into that very, very significantly. Why? Because the temple means more than the temple. The temple, its parts, its protos and its deuteros and its veil represent something so fundamental. And it is going to help us to understand this, this root text of our entire series, Hebrews 2.5, which tells us what the book is about. For he did not subject angels. He did not subject to angels the world to come. What are we talking about? The world to come. He did not subject the, uh, subject the angels the world to come. Concerning which we are speaking, translation, my whole book is about the world to come. Forget the angels part. All I want you to understand is concerning which we are speaking. Rather, the author of Hebrews, and anyone who reads their Bible correctly and accurately, rather than seeing the Torah, uh, uh, the temple, as a representation of the old torn down covenant, the old covenant that is passed away, what he's actually saying is that the temple represents both. The temple represents the old covenant and the new covenant. It is not gone. It's not, it's not abrogated. It's not, it's not bad. So your main takeaway that I want from here, the protos is the holy place. The deuteros is the holy of holies. With me? Good. We're moving forward. Out there where you are, There's good God stuff happening in the protos. You're serving, you're worshiping, you're praying, you're doing all all, all these good things. And that's why it says that they continually enter the outer tabernacle performing the divine worship, but into the second, 
that doesn't happen there. Something very special and unique happens here, and we know that that is the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, right? But there's something incredibly important that you need to see here. We've just read about the, what's happening in the protos, what's happening in the deuteros. He goes on to say, the Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place, which actually here he means the holy of holies, the way into the holy of holies, the deuteros, has not been disclosed while the protos is still standing which is a symbol for the present time. What is a symbol for the present time? Does that make any sense at all? What is a symbol for the present time is that, the protos, which is still what? Standing. It's still standing. The protos, this this world, this this holy space, while the book is being written, the book of Hebrews is written while the temple is standing. He's saying to us that this, this way that comes into here, it has not been fully disclosed yet because the world out here, the protos, the olam hazeh, this age is still happening. And the protos, the fact that it is still happening is a symbol for this present age. That is to say, that that time, the priests are still continually entering the protos. And remember, you are representative for me of the priests, which means in this world, olam hazeh, which is represented by the protos, you are still functioning. You are still living and breathing and the world is happening and the sun is shining and the setting and the moon is rising and the winds are blowing and the rain. The world is still happening. And while it stands, while this world, the first, the protos, while it stands, this system, the system which it operates under, which is the first covenant, we could call it the old covenant, is still in place. And we've talked about this before. This isn't new. We're still living under the laws of the Torah. It doesn't mean we're doing it well, but we're still living in this age where the Torah has this, 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 um, this old covenant sense. In other words, we have not arrived And the author goes on to say, accordingly, because of that, because this present age is still standing, gifts and sacrifices are offered which can't make the worshiper perfect in conscience. They only relate to food and drink and washings, regulations for the body imposed until a time of reformation, a time that is coming. Now, listen to this. Yeshua has already died, buried, and resurrected, right? So we know that the time of reformation is not referring to Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection. That's already happened a long time ago. People read that in Hebrews 9. They relate only to food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body. Ew, gross. 
That's, that's like silly, outdated, dirty washings and regulations. The temple was useless. These sacrifices didn't do anything. They did everything they were supposed to do in the protos. In the world in which we live under the old covenant, when there's a temple and we're trying to interact with God, that's exactly what they were supposed to do, and they did. But we know that they cannot perfect in conscience. We know that that has to happen somewhere down the road. The temple, ew, gross, useless, he hates it. No, not true. But if you're looking for those washings and regulations, things for the body, to get you into heaven, to get you into the deuteros, if you're looking in the Torah for the place where it says, bring me a sacrifice so that you can go to heaven, you cannot find that there because that's not what they were for. And we've covered this a lot. We've covered that. We still have these very same bodies. We're still functioning with these bodies and you can remember back to our ritual purity discussion about these washings. And they are efficacious for that purpose until the time of Reformation. What does that mean? Well, that happened in 1517 when Martin Luther nailed 95 theses. That's not what it's talking about because I'm going to let you know that the time of Reformation has not yet arrived. When Messiah appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this creation and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Now people say, there it is, the, the time of reformation. No, that's not what it says, does it? It says, good things to come. Like the high priest on earth, the author is using the temple here to talk about Messiah entering into a, through the heavenly protos, and we talked about the heavenly temple, into the heavenly deuteros and bringing a whole nother type of sacrifice. And we'll have to talk about that on another day, what that means. He had, just as the holy uh, the high priest had special access, credentials that took him to a place that no one else could go, into the Deuteros. And vitally important to understand, this holy of holies, which the author refers to, as I've said, as the Deuteros, represents the world to come. Protos in the temple, the holy place, our common existence, olam hazeh, this world. Passing through the veil into the deuteros takes us into olam haba, the world to come. So we've introduced another concept here. Olam hazeh, represented by the holy place, is the first, is the protos. Deuteros, represented by the Holy of Holies, is the second. It is the world to come. 
And Yeshua, in a sense, has already gone ahead. But he has not taken anyone with him yet until the good things to come. Now, we're going to mess all kinds of Christian salvation stories about going to heaven and what that means and all this. But that's okay. Stay with me. This way, this good things to come, this time of reformation is not yet open. Why? Because the protos is still standing. The protos is still standing. And that's what he told us. He told us that, that actually, you know, that he never intends to say that the, the temple has become obsolete. Actually, it's the total opposite. He's saying that the protos represents the, fee, the priests are functioning there day in and day out, and that's an important purpose, but there's a whole other greater thing. And, and Hebrews 8, what he's continuing to say in Hebrews 8, when he says new, he's made the protos old, and it's passing away into the deuteros and this holy of holies, and all this stuff is happening, and no one understands it. No one knows that. In most circles of Christian theology, no clue. And do you want to know why? Because here's where it gets really sticky. I told you that there are problems with tense. Tense reminds me of a joke. This guy goes to a psychiatrist. He says, listen, I'm stressed. I'm dreaming all night. What are you dreaming about, sir? I'm dreaming that I'm a teepee. And then I'm a wigwam. And then I'm a teepee, and I'm a wigwam, and, I'm a and it's all night, teepee, wigwam, teepee, wigwam. And the psychiatrist looks at him and he says, it's easy. Your problem is very easy to solve. What is it, doctor? You're too tense. <laughs> I'm not talking about tense like being stressed. I'm talking about verb tense. And here are some very, very difficult things because some Bible translators, their Bibles have lasted 1900 years translated like this, have some pretty major problems. Listen to me. This is what I read you from the New American Standard. The Holy Spirit is signifying that the way into the holy of place, the Deuteros, has not yet been disclosed. While the outer tabernacle, the Protos, is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Let's look at another translation. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed. Back, has not yet been disclosed. As long as the first tabernacle was still functioning, is still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time. Let's look at the... King James, the Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holiest, holy, holiest of all was not yet made manifest. Back to ours. Has not yet. Present tense. While as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Is standing. Do you see what I'm saying to you? Here's a favorite 
which was a figure for the time then present. Here's a Bible translation called the New Living Translation. Well, Damien, no one reads that. You can't. Somebody does. Somebody does. And it says this. So the Holy Spirit is teaching that with the old way of worship, the people could not go into the holiest place as long as the outside tent and its old way of worship were being used. The outside tent is a picture of that day. Completely changing the meaning of what's being said when you say present tense is past. The author of Hebrews was saying to them, the the protos is still standing, it's still here, and nothing's going to happen until that's gone. And they're saying, it is gone. Do you see how problematic that could be? Is it any wonder? And so it says this, the Holy Spirit is signifying that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed. And King James, the Holy Ghost is signifying that the way into the holy of place was not yet made. That implies that now it has been and that we should all be in the time of reformation. That's what that implies. Is it any 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 challenge at all to understand why people would think that Hebrews means something else than it really does? What does it actually mean? Well, you see, the outer tabernacle is still standing. The protos is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. This world This world that we live in, it's there. But it gets actually kind of worse because here we go to Hebrews 9.11. And we've already looked at this text, but here's some comparative texts. From the New American Standard, when Messiah appeared as a high priest of the good things to come. Now let's completely change the tense and change the entire meaning of the book of Hebrews. When Messiah appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. When he came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here. Now, do you know what that makes me think when I wake up in the morning? This is as good as it gets. All the good things. Like, I want more. I... I, Call me selfish, I was expecting more from like the messianic age. Because we're not in the messianic age, we're in the protos. We're in the outer. We're in the outer. Only one has gone into the deuteros. How did he do that? He did it with a resurrected body. When he came out of that, as the first fruits who entered into the Deuteros, he made a promise for the good things that are to come. That means if you're with him, you're in. And you are going to have some special access through him. Now, there's a very, very interesting challenge that, is gonna, that messes up a lot of theology where people say, I come boldly into the throne room and make my request known unto God to which he had. You do? You have no access. Well, Yeshua made the way. 
He went in there and said I could. That's not the way the system works. It didn't work then. It didn't, it didn't work when the high priest did that. The high priest didn't just go in anytime he wanted to, but he was the only one who went in. But he did something for everybody else in there because he had special privileges and access. And the same thing is represented here. You do not march boldly into the presence of God and make your request known unto him. And ex- no, he did that. And elsewhere in Hebrews, it says we're going to come before the throne of grace by the work of our high priest. Do you understand the difference in those theologies? where God remains exalted on his throne and Yeshua, the King, Messiah, Redeemer, gives you an access that you didn't earn. But it's not his access. You can't come up here right now. So I say over the last, well, I've said this a lot over the last few months. It's not surprising how many Christians today, and this is, this is just in, it's a question, how many Christians today would know that the author is comparing this world we live in to the holy place and the temple, and that that's what the protos is, and that's what still stands, and that's what is a sign for this present age? How many? Not many. And that in the temple imagery, in this, this holy place imagery of the protos, that he's actually using the temple as an amazingly positive image for this world and the world to come. It has nothing to do with destruction and nasty old ritual sacrifices. That's not what he's trying to do. He's trying to paint a picture of intense and amazing hope for what the high priest has done. And he's comparing the temple on earth in a positive light to the temple in heaven and the positive picture of the priestly role in in the protos. And what, what the priestly access brings into the deuteros. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will something is coming? Something amazing has been accomplished. How much more will the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offers himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Dead works. There's that Torah thing again. Wrong. Dead works is sin. Dead works is sin. It's doing things that lead to death. What are the wages of sin? Death. Those are dead works. He, by entering into this heavenly deuteros, has done what the sacrifices, of course, could never do, and that's to cleanse our conscience. If the priestly work in, the, in, the, in, in this world, like in the protos, if it could accomplish that to give us access to God in the temple, how much more will the blood of Messiah Yeshua in the future? And, and, and how much do we lead people astray with this idea that the temple is destroyed and never is gonna, uh, never gonna be back? 
How surprised are people going to be in the Messianic age when there's a temple and there are sacrifices going on there? Why would there be sacrifices going on in the temple in the Messianic age? Because there will be people who are born during the Messianic age who still have a body and are interacting in the temple. And that's the Torah and Yeshua didn't change that. And we've talked about that too. And there's an amazing thing about Yeshua entering into this protos veil deuteros thing. Because if you picture the veil, and I'm, again, I'm just going to steal this right from Lancaster because he's the first one I heard it from. The veil that separates the protos and the deuteros is in both worlds, isn't it? There are two curtains in the temple. There's a space in between them. You enter into the sanctuary, the holy place, and there's the protos, the manure, the menorah. That's a very bad uh, mistake. The menorah, all that stuff is in there. And then you're looking at the veil, the curtain. There's a space in between that curtain, right, David? And there's another one behind it. And behind that is the deuteros, all the miracle, amazing things that God has done. So what does the veil represent in the temple imagery? It is the messianic age, which is in the protos and the deuteros and the gap in between this thousand years. It's perfect for the Hebrews author's picture. And even more so, if you want to talk about awesome and cool, when the high priest brought his atoning sacrifice into the Holy of Holies, where did he slaughter it? Where was it, where was it killed? In the, in the Holy of Holies? Did he take the knife in there and gut it? And no, where was it killed? Outside. Outside. In the protos, or not really in the holy place, but... And he brought it in. He carried his, this blood through the protos into the deuteros and made atonement. Now, what does that sound like? Yeshua crucified in this age on this earth, passing through the veil to the divine deuteros. When he appeared as a high priest, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and cows, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place, that is the holy of holies, that is the deuteros once for all, having obtained eternal redemption from protos to deuteros. And so, what is the time of reformation that we're waiting for? Messiah also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear. Deuteros, a second time. For salvation without reference to those who eagerly await him. That is our coming hope. But for now, we remain in 
the protos. And I conclude with this. Why, why would the author of Hebrews use the temple imagery? Why would this be such a fundamental part of his argument? Well, we've already done away with the fact that he was, you know, that the temple was gone and had no relevance. Why was this important? Consider the audience back to week three. You have a, you have a small community of Yeshua followers who are being persecuted, Jews and Gentiles, God-fearing Gentiles who have placed their faith in Messiah Yeshua, and they've been uh, uh, kicked out of the temple. And, and the high priest and the day of atonement and the, and the holy things that happen there. We've talked about them, right? We know who he's writing to and he's writing this word of encouragement. The temple is important. It's central. It's for them, their, their, their way of life. And it becomes for the author now the image of the climax of Hebrews. Brothers, he says, we are okay. We are okay. The temple we love. Picture this, guys. He says, two parts. Protos, Deuteros. We're out here. But in Yeshua, we can get in. But that Protos, the fact that things are still happening, the fact that it's still standing, it's where we are. But we're moving steadily. The Holy Spirit has confirmed that while this age stands, that, that we're just going to have to be patient. We have to hold fast. We're moving toward the veil. And there's more to the story than this world. You haven't missed it. The Holy Spirit, it's being revealed. And when it comes, what it comes with through a better sacrifice by a better priest with a better ministry and a better covenant and better promises... All awaits us beyond the protos. But for now, and this is the defining message of Hebrews all throughout the book, and we haven't even talked about it, but it's going to be our conclusion in this series. For now, as you live and exist out here, waiting for the eternal hope in the time of Reformation, hold fast. By the faith of our fathers, as demonstrated in Hebrews 11, hold fast. The work has been done. And that for us, my friends, all the more, especially in this season where we're thinking of Tisha B'Av and the destruction of the temple, and we're in exile. We're in exile. This is not the kingdom of God. We're waiting for our entry point into the Deuteros. So, as the protos stands, I encourage you, just as he did, and we'll finish this up soon. Hold fast. There is a great, great coming hope and promise in our Messiah Yeshua. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching. We'd love to hear from you with a comment, a prayer request, or questions you might have. We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now. If you enjoy these teachings, would you consider financially supporting the work of Nachamu Ami by visiting our website at 
www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening. 